Yeah, Boxeo back in the building. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the boxing edition as we swing below the belt to answer that million dollar question of what happens when you tease the ITC back. You know the answer. You get the mess. That is the performance enhancing audio. This is the only boxing show you need to get your fix. The full package, if you will. Willing to put itself on the line for your entertainment. Because they had a full package. Where are they going to get that full package today? Who puts their balls on the line? Who does that in boxing? This podcast does that, Prince Hasim Nahmed. The Brian Campbell, in fact, yes, the voice that you hear, just about ready to tag in that guy, Big Red, to release the audio magic as we look back at the week that was in Boxeo. We hit up some of those Big-time recent headlines, including Clunbuteralgate with Canelo Alvarez and much, much, much more. We're going to have a lot of fun you don't want to miss. Let me remind you, though, if you haven't yet taken the time to do your part in the audio revolution and let your voice be heard regarding the show, then please head on over to Apple Podcasts. We're talking about a five-star review. Subscribe, tinkle around in there, whatever you got to do. Spend 60 seconds to make our lives and yours that much better, but without any further ado, let me tag in that that mentioned man, the mainest of all main men, that Filipino TV icon. He's an editor. He's an author. He's, of course, a respecter of all things cruiserweights, but you can also call him your personal candy licker. Let me lick you up. Let me, lick let me cruise you down. Cruiserweights. I lick them all around. Music. Alexander. I oh, baby, you. it's Rafe Bartholomew. Rafe, how the heck are you? I'm great. I'm even better because I just heard you mention the name Prince Hasim Nahmed, Brian, who apparently might be Prince Nassim Hamed's uh, bizarro other half. I don't wow. know who you're talking about. Did I about do that again? There. I keep doing that, right? I keep doing that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty lame. That's pretty lame. Uh, Rafe, a lot of people said, hey. Where where was the show last week? Where was the ADK the at at the Alex Godinez? But we, you know we took a week off and a lot happened in the meantime. A lot of news blew up. Your guy, the original Big Red, all over the headlines. Before we steer into that slice of beef, Rafe, I just want to know like what's new in your life. The boxing uh, respect box newsletter is hot fire. I got to give you a shout out on that. What else is happening in the life of Rafe? Man, just enjoying these fights, you know, watching watching my guys like uh, Mick Conlon. Wow, what a great what a, what a great performance, you know, knocking out that Hungarian guy with some body shots hey, after what, everyone hashtag gone home. What a beauty body, right, right there. Oscar even had it like that. Exactly. And if we do have any messages for Oscar, though, it would be this, right? I mean, come on, you know, on on the D, on the low, right? You know, Hit come on, on, come the on, low, Oscar. Oscar, if I could only find the button, it'd be on the D, on the low. Wow, great moments in podcast history, Rafe. That did not happen. Wow, Angel, all right. That's what I got for Oscar. I got fish, scale. Hit me up on the low, Oscar, on the D. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Very <laughs> it's nice of Angel to throw in the thank you there. It's always, always polite. Etiquette is always uh, at the top of the order for Angel Garcia. Oh, absolutely. There, Rafe. Uh, let's not, let's not fool around anymore. Let's get into it. May 5th, we're going to see Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin part two. But since the last time we voiced a podcast, the narrative has changed. And that's, of course, that Canelo Alvarez tested positive for traces of clenbuterol. He claims tainted beef, tainted meat from his training in Mexico, which has now been moved to San Diego. Rafe, 
because of the traces, it seemed like people were going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Both the WBC, right, and WBA were like, we got no problem here. There's a long history of this. Team Golovkin has a problem. Does Rafe Bartholomew have a problem with this news? I don't, I don't know if I have a problem. I don't, what I have a problem with is I don't, I don't really see the, the boxing world bathing itself in glory with its, uh, principled stand against, uh, against various, you know, possibility, the possibility of doping. Um, there's, there's not, I mean, I, I say that, but at the same time, I kind of understand there's sort of nothing anyone's going to do or can do. But like, first of all, traces. Well, what do you expect to like? What is the like? If you tested, you know, Alexander Povetkin, would his blood be 100% clenbuterol or meldonium? Like, well, of course, it's going to be trace amounts, and like that is exact. That is how people you people who are using, uh, you know, performance enhancing drugs. Use them. They take them and then they cycle and then it cycles out of their system. So when you, you know, when it is detected, it's going to be detected usually in small amounts. Um, there is plausible deniability because of the tainted beef situation. Um, but there's also so much quest. I, I mean, like we don't know. We haven't seen enough real information. And this, this is partly on us, right? We're media. We could call people up and actually try to learn more about this. But like we, I would like to know. How high the levels of clenbuterol in beef in Mexico are and like, could you, could you get a trace positive test from eating one meal or do, you know, would you have to eat some unreasonable amount before it shows up in your blood like that? You have that? to put your um, whole head up the bull's ass, right? Or no, it's your head actually, right? <laughs> it's, it, it has to be your bull. Um, so, uh, and, and honestly, I, I mean, I don't think like the Gennady Golovkin's team and Abel Sanchez want to, uh, not go through with this fight. I think they're just playing this up to maximize the advantage it may create for them by, uh, by just making Canelo's training camp more difficult, adding distractions, yeah, but that, that, getting so that on his nerves, nothing, maybe sending extra Vada people so he gets tested more often. You know, it's just like, like try and throw disruption at him. I don't, do I think believe it will work? Probably not. But I don't think that matters. I don't think that's going to shake Canelo because one thing we do know about him is this. I was born ready. Like he, he can handle the spotlight. He can handle the pressure, the extra test. I think if any, the only thing that this really affects and matters is this, Rafe, financially for Golovkin. And maybe that's why Gennady's putting up such a stink, and he should. Is he should? There's got to be some language in that contract that we don't know about when they signed it that says if one of them fails a drug test, right? There's going to be, and they go forward with the fight. There's a financial penalty in there in some form. So if I'm Gennady, I push that and I get paid. That doesn't change whether Canelo is or is not clean, though. So let's look at the precedent. The precedent is that a lot of athletes have had this tainted beef thing. It's not just Eric Morales' 2012 excuse from the Danny Garcia fight, or even Francisco Vargas against. uh in a that was June of 2016 against Orlando Salido ahead of their war there. We've had what the Mexican soccer team was it? Uh, been... Yeah, there, there was and a British. I mean, I think I, I forget the exact uh, the exact circumstances, but yeah, there there have been a few cases where it was through food, like definitively in uh, with soccer teams. So NFL so that, players that, is, that, that went that actually what's that? I think NFL players that played in Mexico were also warned to be careful for that same mm-hmm. reason. Don't drink the water now. Don't eat the meat. But the real question comes down to this, Rafe, is like it's just the question of any top athlete in a fight this important with this much money at stake. You need to control everything that goes in your body. Right, John Jones? Yes, I'm talking at you with the, you know, off-market uh, uh, stick pill, if you will. You know, the the off-market, uh, uh, you know, 
Viagra, basically. Like, anything you put in your body, you gotta check. So, that should be, hey, Canelo, if you're gonna train in Mexico, like, let's do this the smart way. So, my instinct was to think, this is boxing. That was my first instinct, right? Hashtag, this is boxing. And my first instinct was to go, you know what? Everyone's probably dirty anyway, so why do we focus this much on it? But that's sort of, in a way, like, jaded and naive and beaten down anyway. So we, I guess I have to really ask myself, do I believe him? The trace amounts thing in his history of clean testing does sort of lead me to go, well, you know, there's a precedent here. But at the same time, c- could you just use that as an excuse? Is everybody just going to use that as an excuse? If I happen to pop, then I have that because I trained in Mexico. It's such a great area that I don't really know if I believe Canelo or not or if I should even really care because, again, my default is that everybody on the highest level is using anyway. And belief is not a, usually not a very good standard for this sort of thing because it's it's so subjective. Like you're basically choosing, oh, yeah, he seems like a good guy. This guy does not seem like a good, good, good guy. <laughs> I mean that's why the testing bodies – um, ideally, like you test positive for banned substance, you face some consequence for it there, you know, and, and it's, it is hard. You know, and th- that's how it works in some of the Olympic sports and cycling and stuff like that. Now, it, that, that hard of a standard does seem almost in a strange way unfair to enforce in boxing where we assume, um, there is somewhat prevalent doping going on in the sport. So it's almost like when a guy gets caught, you're like, well, that's unfair to him to keep him out. He just got caught, which is a really twisted ass backwards way of thinking of things, but somehow only works like kind of makes sense in the funhouse world mirror of boxing, um, funhouse mirror world of boxing. Um, but <laughs> it's tough, man. It's tough. So I, I say props to Golovkin's team for not letting this headline just go away. And whether they're trying for money, whether they're trying for whatever, whether they're simply trying to expose and gain back support from what they feel like is a Nevada commission that has favored Canelo the whole time throughout the first fight, right? They're pointing to the scorecards, of course, with with, with just do. They're pointing to that, but they're also pointing to what uh, Abel Sanchez won't stop talking about is he thinks that Canelo's hands were wrapped illegally before the first fight. I don't necessarily remember. Did that was that something that came up like right before the fight? It did not come up at least. Well, uh, we were we were there. You know, we, we us big time media guys were there live, so we were not watching the the broadcast if it were mentioned there. Um, I didn't I didn't hear anything about it before the fight. I didn't hear anything about it until recently when they when when Abel Sanchez brought it up. Um, I don't know if it was a especially, and it seems like the thing that would have been reported on if it was indeed as dramatic a scene as Abel is now saying it was, where he objected to the way they were uh, sort of double double stacking the or stacking the 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 wraps in his hands and and sort of interlacing them in and out um and then the nevada commission told abel to get out of the room or shut up or shut up or get out that seems like uh something we would have heard about already so uh, you know it's and, and you know abel has sort of abel sanchez golovkin's trainer has been extremely um sort of uh outspoken to the point of you wonder what how much of what he's saying in the lead up to this rematch is for real and how much of it is just sort of his idea of gamesmanship. He definitely, well, I, I don't with know. With an angle think, though, Brian, with an angle to goad Canelo into fighting mano a mano, maybe that is my, that's my read on it. I think he, you know, he, 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 whether or not he believes it, it will actually work 
I, he probably figures, why not try? Why not try to get under this guy's skin? Yes, he's unflappable, but he's also very prideful and maybe, you know, and he's been, and he's gotten criticized over the years and he, he does feel the need to live up to the sort of ideal of a great Mexican fighter, which is a very brave fighter. Um, now, He's done it. Can- Canelo has done that in his own way, and I think that people accept that now that he's a he, he's a he's a damn good fighter. He's a smart fighter. He's not going to just be a dumbass fighter. Um, but you know, if if they can, if 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 that works a little bit, uh, and and makes you know Canelo sort of step up and and want to just start trading with Golovkin, then that's even if uh, you know that's that's what Abel Sanchez wants. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, for Triple G, like he's been clean fighter for sport from beginning, right? He's been like the Vada guy from day one that always wanted. So I, I, look again, I st- say for but, him, stand but, up, but, 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 but Brian, but, and this but is what? not to cast too many aspersions on, on, you know, my, my, my hero, Gennady Golovkin, um, or my, you know, but, but he did grow up in the, in the Soviet system. I mean, he's 35. He was born in 1982. Um, He's he that we just saw this oh, Oscar winning documentary wait, Icarus. Bro, guys, you serious? You really going this way? You're going down this road right now? I'm. I don't think it's crazy to assume that guys who you know who grew up in like the Soviet or and post Soviet system uh, for amateurs and fought at an Olympic level may have been exposed to you know the kind of uh, training. Meldonium in your coffee, whatever. Yeah, yeah, like those kind of things. And that's not their, you know, they're, they're, I don't, the, the guys probably didn't even know what they were taking back then. They're kids. Um, All right, I just like, want to make sure you weren't they've writing, on, been on some stuff in the past, if not currently. I just want to make sure you weren't writing your own dead spin piece and then write an apology afterwards. That's all I wanted to make sure right there. No, <laughs> I look, again, I just told you my default these days. I'm not going to be that guy in 1998 who's going to watch home run records get broken and go, wow, this is great. You know, like, no, I, I, I'm a jaded journalist and fan. I think everybody's doing something something in some degree. I mean, you even sent me a Reddit interview from Memo Heredia from like 10 years ago that was translated from Spanish from some newspaper where he just brags about how easy it is to, to beat the testing process and how the, you know, the supplements and such are always ahead of the game. I'm, I don't want to be that naive guy. I'm not going to be. So it comes back to this question again. Did I believe Canelo? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. But I have to say this. Max Kellerman was on the Yahoo Boxing Chris Mannix podcast, and he laid out a, a case for Canelo, if you will. And I I got seduced by it. The case was Canelo's drug testing history. The idea that why would you be reckless in a fight this big? The idea that this drug, clenbuterol, is more about cutting weight, and Canelo is the guy moving up in weight, essentially. He's not moving down to try to cut down to some money division. And just the way Max, who again is going to be on the HBO broke broadcast, so he's probably supportive of the idea of this fight going on without controversy to some, you know, degree on the inside. I heard that and I was like, you know, I guess I could buy some of that. Did you hear that? Did you agree at all? I listened and they are all valid points. That is, that is the defense, that is the best defense you can come up with for Canelo at this point. However, I don't know that I really am on board with the, oh, well, you know, Canelo, it's not, he, he used to fight at 154, so he's not struggling to make weight. It is, Clembuterol, we sort of describe it in shorthand as a, as a, you know, weight cutting, PED, but first of all, do we, what, what do you and I actually, what does Max even know? You know, uh, this is, we're just repeating things that we read elsewhere. Um, and I think that, I mean, another thing that I read elsewhere is that clenbuterol helps, helps you add 
lean muscle. So it's a way to get stronger and maintain your weight, whatever it is. It's also a cardio. Um, which, it's which, also a cardiovascular thing that they use on like horses and animals to, to basically enlarge their lungs, right? To be able to breathe more in and and, and go harder and longer. So, so maybe are, I'm disproving Max's theory right there. Of me. Are basically I'm saying there are probably other benefits. If one were using clenbuterol to, to train as a, as a performance enhancing drug besides the, the, uh, weight cutting, you know, issue that we've, that we, we usually associate it with. There are probably other benefits. Um, and the other thing is like, why look, there's plausible, basically the, the argument that I'm comfortable with is we don't know. We can never know. There's nothing that we can do to find out. And this fight is going to go on. So we're just going to deal with it. Um, I'm fine with that. I don't, beyond that, I don't really want to see like the, he has a good track record. He's a nice guy. Um, you know, this is a big fight. Well, if he, why, you're talking about being reckless, isn't it reckless to go, you know, go home to Mexico and eat a bunch of ta- uh, meat that you believe could, that you know could be tainted? That's reckless too, right? Um, probably more reckless than, you know, uh, than, than I'm going to try and, you know, sneak in some, some, some juicing here. And uh, and and then try and get off of it before we start testing. Like uh, you're probably right. I mean, it's, so that's why I always come back to the financial but, thing. I think because he got caught, Gennady should at the very least push for more money in his pocket. And then it's sort of like you're in the same ball game that you are in every texting situation. You hope if you're clean, if Gennady really is clean, you hope your opponent isn't using and you train your your, your butt off to try to offset that. But I mean, now you're like, hey, let's get back to business. You are next, my friend. You are next a second time, and let's put this behind us. But it, it's just, it's tough to do that, even when you're in that gray area between, eh, everyone's probably using anyway. It's like, shouldn't he get a slap on the wrist? Well, you know, or Luis Ortiz just really didn't. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, John Jones just came back after a year. Now he may come back again. Who knows? It's just, it's, it's sketchy. It's all, it's all really frustrating. It's all really, you know. Boy, it's frustrating. I, I don't know what to say in, in a lot of these ways. It's just. It's got us all twisted up, you know. That's what this, that's what this tainted meat does, right? I mean, well, speaking of tainted, tainted beef, uh, we haven't really hit the fans with another selection from that, that album we're working on. What's the title of this? What's the working title it's, right now? It, it, we, we're, it's called, uh, Now That's What I Call Box, and we're on volume 74 right now. Right. So we've hit them with classics in the past, like, uh, Cruisin' Cruisin'. Together. Cruising was made for box. I'm sorry, that was that was the actual title. We hit them at at another time with uh with another. What was our second hit? Sometimes. The Miguel Cotto respect box. Oh, that was such respect a box. Latin thriller right there. Yeah, but we you know let, we we've been working on another one in honor of this news. So let's hit it. Can it be? Are you serious? Can it Are you be? serious? I not need medicals. No medicals. Once I was born ready. Not a good boy. Now I need that meat. My this favorite meat, my food meat. You've given me an excuse to keep on juicing. Take my peel only find Clem Buterol. I respect box. Oh, no, 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 no thank it be. First Morales, then Vargas. Louis Mary, no respect box. Wow, Rafe, now that's called box is what I'm talking about right there. I mean, look, that, if, if we can't believe them, then that song might be the theme song for this, for the second pay-per-view fight. And look, I mean, Golovkin, his favorite food, we know this from the, the famous 
Chiron, Chiron, I have no no clue how to say that, that little thing at the bottom of the screen, the famous Chiron from before his fight with uh, Nobuhiro Ishida, um, sending that man to hell in three rounds. <laughs> Favorite food is meat. All the time. Meat all the time. In the, but in the not tainted meat. No medicals. No medicals. But Rafe, in real time, didn't we just receive a uh, a, a DM slide or a, or a tweet well, from... It wasn't... A, a DM slide would have been nice. It was a real tweet. Let me... I don't... I want to get, get our guys... Uh, are his handle down, uh, but a great suggestion basically that instead of Canelo's camp going around saying, look, all these other fighters have, have had a similar problem. Instead, if, if the tainted beef issue is so prevalent in Mexico, go, go, you know, send someone, pay for someone, pay for not Vada, but pay for someone to go blood test a bunch of random individuals in Mexico who've eaten recently eaten meat in Mexico and see if they test positive and what are the levels. And if it's, and, and that would do more to exonerate or back up Canelo's case than pointing to people like Eric Morales or people who who may have been using it for for genuine or not genuine but for uh, performance enhancing reasons. Yeah, I mean that's at our, at our buddy Nice Price at Nice Price Books. Uh, he's been a longtime listener of the show. I, I'm not against that suggestion. I mean that might just you know sort of weed it out. But uh, look, it's not going to stop the fight. No matter what the commission's going to do, no matter what Vada, WBC, WBA, they're all going to be investigating. They're all going to be looking for uh, well for actually you know before they finish this investigation, Rafe, can we find out where the lost pay per view numbers were for Mayweather Guerrero? Can we get Stephen Espinosa on the line right now? Can we? Find find that then we'll get in Al, Al Capone's grave we'll find who really killed uh, Nicole Brown Simpson and then we'll find out whether this uh, you know <laughs> come on come on now. I mean this is a, it's not going to affect the fight and you know that on May 5th right I mean I, I tend to agree I you know I, I do kind of hope that the Abel Sanchez mind games lead to something but I doubt it yeah, absolutely. Uh, so look, it's something to talk about on the build there. Can't wait for that fight. We're probably not going to get a lot of headlines out of either guy knowing that that's just who they are. They're not trash talkers. You know, they, they you know, I mean, let's be honest. We know what, what Triple G is. We know what he likes to do. I respect box. I respect everybody. I respect everybody. Athletes. And uh, I did like some of his take on athletes here, though, in the word, the wordage, the uses of the words when he basically referred to PEDs as medicals, right? Yeah. So I, he like, doesn't need medicals, you know. It's, it's a, it was a good new, uh, in, you know, a new entry into the Triple G glossary, you know. Uh, you know, good boy, medicals, uh, respect box, drama show, you know. Buenas noches, amigos. Buenas noches, come Yeah, come on, stop. Uh, other news this week in, in, in Boxing Rafe that we found out late last week. Hey, good fight added for May 12th. This is one of those rare times that it's a victory for boxing because we are going to see that 135-pound title fight when Jorge Linares defends his belt against Vasily Lomachenko, the pound-for-pound king, rising up in weight. And the reason why this got tricky, right, was the network and promotional issue that held this up. We will now see this ESPN, 8 p.m. Eastern, Saturday, May 12th. The reason for the hiccup, the holdup, was the fact that HBO that same night will be running the replay of Triple G Canelo 2, and it was going to go against each other, and you would have had two Golden Boy cards essentially competing against each other. Hey, the powers that be slid in there and made it happen. ESPN was willing to move, a, what, a college softball game, basically, to make it happen. And now we're getting, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, on paper, probably the toughest fight of Lomachenko's career. Win-win for boxing, right? I think so. Sure. I mean, and uh, I guess on paper, it depends on how you want to look at the, you know, the the 
Rigondo fight from last year, late last year. I mean, on paper, that looked like it was going to be that, you know, the toughest fight of, of uh, Lomachenko's career. Uh, and obviously, you know, it didn't turn out that way. Lomachenko just outclassed him and, and made him quit. The thing about um, it, he had to make leaps to believe that. And look, of course, I made the, I was ride or die with Rigo. I made the prediction that he would yeah. win. And you had to make leaps of the weight, of the age, of all that. You don't have to make those leaps in here. You don't have to make those leaps, but but Linares is not on the same level of boxing talent and experience and what we thought that Rigo could the, – the, the kind of strengths that Rigondo brought into that fight. Now, with uh, with Linares, brings a lot of – he's obviously very good, uh, like an extremely good boxer. He's bigger. He's taller, longer. Um, and, and you wonder, especially for Lomachenko, who never – came off as a huge puncher at any other weight at any of the lower weights how how high can he push it re, you know reasonably um and and until he starts you know sort of running up against that weight ceiling uh that said everyone's sort of you know he's going to be favored i think we're we're both likely to you know choose pick him in this fight but i'm excited for it i'm glad they made it and and i also think that folks you know i've seen some of the poo-pooing of Linares as a as a good enough opponent for Lomachenko. Well, if that's the case, then who the heck should this guy fight? Other yeah. than that, there's like Mikey Garcia and nobody else. Look, this is a and, great and fight. A like, great fight. Th- this is one of the best fights you can make for Lomachenko and one that, I, I mean, we have not seen Lomachenko face a boxer like Linares who moves, who moves almost as well, I would say, as Lomachenko does, who can punch, who has, who throws good, you know, combinations, who is a really classy, slick boxer and is going to make him work. I guess, well, you, Gary Russell, he beat the, he beat the brakes off of Gary Russell. All right. Lomachenko just, you know, can do anything. What are you, what are you going to do? I'm not saying you still wouldn't favor Lomachenko, but if you're going to have a move up and wait, I'd rather have him face a beautiful bo- a beautiful man, by the way, but a beautiful boxer in Linares because we're going to see plenty of Lomachenko against, you know, named Slugger who might not have a chance unless he lands one punch. You're going to see a lot of those fights the more Lomachenko moves up in weight. You're not going to see a lot of he's in there against another boxer with his type of craft, but they're different, obviously. You know, Linares is a beautiful boxer in the sort of natural sense where Lomachenko is more of the, the sort of virtuoso you know he's not playing notes on guitar he's playing colors like Hendrix he's all over the map right I mean this is a little bit more of what what that's like so it's gonna be great I don't I mean I've I've listened to I've listened to Jimmy and I've listened to Lomo but I don't know if I hear them you can't you can't you can't hear Jimmy don't make me find that sound but you can't you can't hear Jimmy uh so that same night by the way HBO May 12th 10 p.m. Eastern their broadcast they're gonna run the replay of Triple G Canelo they've now added a fight Verona New York Saddam Ali Golden Boy repped fighter will defend that WBO junior middleweight title that he won from a retiring Miguel Cotto against, yes, he's back, Liam Beefy Smith, former Canelo victim. Uh, yeah, it's not bad, right? I mean, it's not, not a great fight. It's not bad. I, you know, it's, I, I, I'm not very excited for the fight, um, but. Hey, it is what it is. Uh, it's weird because there, there, there are a lot of good fighters at 154 and it's weird to think that these two are fighting for one of the belts because I don't think I have them. They're like, I mean, TBRB, uh, the, the rankings, you know, whatever body, um, has, never has them at, has them at eight and 10 in, in at 154. It's weird to think of them fighting for a belt and, and there, there are guys who aren't even in TBRB's top 10 that I might pick above, uh, over those guys in a fight like our boy Vanis, uh, who's been inactive but you know might 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 I still might think he has a shot against either of those guys somebody like Vanis Austin Trout I mean that's the level I think these guys are on um not the Jarrett Hurd Lara right. real Jermel Charlo 
side of the division. But, you know, I mean, Liam Smith was a sport. He, he came to the States and got knocked out like he was supposed to. And I imagine, uh, uh, you know, I imagine that Golden Boy still owes him uh, something from that. And this is that another shot at the belt against a guy who is, you know, a natural welterweight and might be beatable for someone my, like Smith. Although I like Ali and think he's a good boxer. Liam's from the UK, but he doesn't have any traveler in your in your right? But you got a traveler in your in your. Uh, he he's not he's not from that clan, right? I don't think that the, the fighting Smith brothers are 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 in that are in that group. They will travel though to fight if, for a big fight, so he'll they'll even go to Verona, where where a young Rafe and his father once saw Triple G make his USD debut oh against uh, Polish power Gregor Sproxan. What a legendary night, forget. you know, for for all the, for for that reason, for the for the the just putrid undercard fight between our man Razor Sergey in Zurich and Jonathan Montequilla oh, Gonzalez, where he weighed in like nine pounds overweight, and, and he had the, oh, the was... lips tattoo on his neck. That was one of the worst fights ever. By the way, I saw <laughs> I the only time I've been to Verona was a Friday night fights main event when it was Brian Vera taking a decision from. Sergey Razor Zinzuruk. That was a pretty that was good a, that was a kind of a good fight. They were you know Zinzuruk showed some balls in that one. Yeah, I think that got Vera the the uh, the chance to fight against a Julio Cesar Chavez for the uh, lineal 172 title. You know, or, or maybe that was 173 because I think Fonfara is still the champ at 172 after beating uh, whatever. <laughs> Rafe, but we can't talk about news and boxing without bringing up a story that we hate, and that's Floyd Mayweather going to the UFC because Floyd won't stop talking about it. So Gervonta Davis, the Mayweather Promotions repped fighter, won't stop tweeting that he's ready for the UFC. He wants anyone. Well, Floyd's taking it a step further. We've teased it on the show in the past, but in an interview with TMZ Sports this week. He says, I'm going to set, he's set to begin training with UFC welterweight champion Tyron Woodley. A sort of comedic exchange followed where Floyd, uh, rated his <laughs> wrestling game at a seven, but he, he may need only a few months to get it up to like a nine, but you know, my hands game, that's at a hundred. His kick 100 game. hundred out of ten. Out of ten. His kick game's only a four. Uh, so there's a lot of nonsense here. As a as a as an MMA as a MMA member of the you know card carrying MMA media, Brian, um, what you know, how important is the kicking game in yeah. in mixed martial arts? You uh, know, how huge. often have you has any mixed martial artist ever said my kicking referred to his no, kicking game like that? Not like that, but it is huge because the the whole idea of somebody like a boxer coming to MMA who's never been there, everyone always says, well, let's see the first time he gets kicked in the calf as hard as somebody can. Then you're going to realize right. that you don't want to be there, right? So, but no, it, that is, it's just funny. So there's a lot of crap in this story. And one of the part of the crap in this story is that Tyron Woodley got ahead of this story. But he, he works with TMZ. He has his own show there. And he said on there that, you know, Floyd would only need, uh, four, five, six months to get his wrestling up to speed. And, you know, he could probably fight Conor McGregor. Like, it's, it's such like any MMA person to actually say that out loud, Rafe, that, that sacrilege right there. You know, there's a financial reason for him to say that. So there's got to be something sneaky going on, obviously, in the idea of Floyd going to UFC. Because look, unless, really, unless they're really going to b- book Floyd against CM Punk, in some kind of mixed rules, weird match that's set up for Floyd to win. There's, what weight there, could they even fight at? I don't even know. I mean, CM Punk fights at 170. Uh, I don't know. It's just So unless that, but again, there's so many reasons not to believe that. Why would Floyd put his reputation on the line in, I don't care who he's fighting, in a sport that he has no advantages in? Like, So there's got to be an underlying reason. This is what we said from the beginning. What's the reason why Floyd won't stop talking about this? Is it just to keep his name in the headlines? Well, our guy Andreas Hale, I don't know if you read it on Yahoo Sports, had a decent mm-hmm. column where he where he basically put out a theory of, Floyd, which we've talked about before, Floyd, the idea of him getting into MMA management and promotion and maybe wanting to recruit Woodley, an Afri- a strong African-American fighter who 
doesn't get the due that he's deserved under the USC. He's constantly brawling with Dana White. Maybe this would be the beginning of that. That would be the only way to justify Woodley's comments, that Floyd would need four to six months to become an UFC-level guy. Like, if he got in there in an MMA fight against Conor McGregor, it would end in 60 seconds. We all know that. So stop that. There has to be a reason, because I, I can't hear any more of these headlines and people taking this seriously, because it, it, it can't be serious, right? It's just... Stop early, that and, crap! Stop it! So uh, this has to... There, there's got to be a, a management promotion financial reason in this well didn't he just apply for a license to now to fight in mma that like that that broke today i have not seen that headline yet are you serious so it's it it appears to be get yeah i am serious uh well you know to go confirm and over with boxing scene right now but yeah um I just don't – like everybody else, when a guy's reputation and legacy – Says he will apply for MMA license. But, I mean, he's really pushing this story. Um, look, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense, but, like, why would he keep going further and further in this direction if, there, if it wasn't going to lead to something? I mean, there is a lot of smoke, so you're saying is there fire. The only justified fire I could – imagine is, like I said, him against the CM Punk, the former WWE champion who looked awful in his UFC debut. UFC's going to trot him out one more time. It looks Chicago, June 9th, UFC 225. They're talking about putting him in there with this guy, Mike Jackson, Rafe, who's an MMA journalist, and he's done what some What the hell are we talking side. about, Brian? What is this? Stop this! So, Stop this! I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I know. Come on, Floyd's we, driving us crazy again. What is happening? He's making us play this soundbite. UFC are a bunch of skinhead white guys watching people in the ring who are also look like skinhead white guys. Well, no, no, Bob. We're talking about the idea of Floyd and the idea that Floyd thinks he's going to step out in the octagon and we're basically going to say this. Hey, that black guy, he hits hard. Well, you know, what happens when you get kicked in the calf? I just, I mean, come on. We know Floyd enough. To Why are we talking about this? He doesn't step into any area where where all of the advantages are not in his corner. So I don't even think I could believe the idea of some carnival match. Why would he cheapen his name to that level to do a carnival mixed rules MMA fight. You could say, why is he cheapening his name by basically being a strip club promoter? I like you could say that same thing, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, Floyd doesn't know a lot of shame, but Floyd is so smart business-wise. I don't even care if CM Punk is CM Punk. This is a, not a smart decision, Rafe, in any means. It does seem to run contrary to everything we think we know about Floyd and, and how much pride he takes and basically, you know, never being rattled, almost never being rattled in a ring. You know, I mean, he, he is this, you know, his, his, his aura is that untouchability, at least as a fighter. And you're, we're, I mean, there's no way he could fight in MMA without getting touched pretty horribly. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Let's end it. Hey, let's talk about a fight that was good. It was this past weekend on ESPN. Jose Ramirez took a 12th round unanimous decision from Emir Imam to win the vacant WBC junior welterweight title. Uh, good fight. Good fight, Rafe. There at yeah. the, in the co-main event ahead of my, my Mick Conlon's uh, little, you know, four round dust up there in the uh, St. Patrick's Day main event. But uh, this was a, a back and forth fight that really got me fired up sitting, sitting there uh, with a cold one in my hand watching it. Yeah, yo, really, I mean, it looked good going in, right? These were both, you know, young fighters who, uh, Imam had the one loss a couple of years ago, um, but it, you know, it was Adrian Granados, um, and they both, but, but still guys who had a lot to prove and who we didn't quite know, uh, exactly what we were looking at with them. And I think we did, you know, we certainly, I think, saw where, 
Imam is going to top out, uh, you know, in his career, um, you know, as sort of like a just below world championship level fighter. And Ramirez, you know, he, he fought really well, smart pressure, you know, good combinations, you know, was able to take, you know, he, he was getting, Imam came out sharp and was catching, you know, Ramirez early and, and worked the jab pretty well and was slipping a lot of the, the, you know, the, the early pressure that, that, um, that Ramirez put on him, but, Eventually, you know, he stuck with it and, and, and really hung in there and got, and made things work, you know, and, and, you know, really rocked him. Mom almost had him, you know, out a couple times late in the fight. Yeah. Both impressed me. I actually thought both were elevated because like you said, Imam had questions to answer from that Granados loss. I love this jab. I love this little slickness. I love this toughness because Ramirez was putting together punches. His overhand right was there all day. And that's why it turned into a little bit of a fun action fight. A couple times they went in the phone booth. Uh, I, I thought Ramirez deserved the decision. I thought the, like a lot on Twitter, I thought the broadcast wasn't talking enough on ESPN about what, what Imam was actually doing to make it a close fight, but Ramirez was the better fighter. This was a step up in class in, in his rise, you know, for sure. Top rank has another young, unbeaten, fun fighter on their hands, but you gotta throw shade at John Stewart's 120, 108 scorecard. Like, are you kidding me, Rafe? Like, this was a 7-5 Ramirez fight, maybe, Maybe eight four nine three if you favored him in some of those closer rounds, but to, to twelve nothing. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, and that I I, I I felt the same way. I thought I thought that Imam was was winning early, you know, many of the early rounds, and that you know Ramirez's pressure was there, but it wasn't. It hadn't become effective yet. You know, Imam was was slipping a lot of you know even the the shots that looked like they were going to land, he was turning away from you know basically missing you know dodging them, slipping them by a, you know a hair, um, and it was pretty impressive. And he was landing some really really good counter shots in there. I want to ask you, Brian, do you, I kind of got the feeling Feeling that that maybe Imam came in with the wrong game plan, and I don't know if he would have been able to execute the, the another one. But it seemed like I would. I mean, obviously he was getting outworked, um, and I wonder if he had been more aggressive, let his hands go more, trusted himself to win more exchanges early. Could he have? kind of done more to 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 hurt Ramirez cuz you know Imam we've seen him he, uh, you know knock guys out he is has a pre, oh, he's, he's a decent pretty good puncher don't and make me play that soundbite a second time I and mean, we know that 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 guy he hits hard like he we does. know that he does and he and and he was a uh, and and there were some of those you mentioned when they got into the phone booth in the middle round some of those exciting exchanges i thought he was getting the better of some of those even after he was starting to look like the fight was turning against him imam was still in there and and looked like he would there were a few combinations and, and exchanges in round 6 7 8 where it looked like he was really like like ramirez like was not liking it you know he was getting he was he was feeling it and he looked like a little wobbly at times not in any serious like fight ending about to go down way but in the way that if imam had stayed you know fought that way and stayed on it and trusted himself to sort of you know just be quicker be a little bit sharper and land harder punches instead of just going one punch at a time and sticking with the one two and letting ramirez's pressure eventually kind of overwhelm him um it it, it seemed like he could have done he, he might have been able to do better now the other thing is well, he's almost too safe looks, he was almost jab and slip yeah. jab and slip there wasn't a lot of like you said combos or right hands coming over the top so it was a little bit too safe yeah and, and it's the kind of thing where it's easy to say that maybe imam's chin wouldn't have held up if he had fought in a you know more reckless style because it doesn't you know it seems like ramirez definitely had the better chin in that fight um and um so so it's hard to say but uh, 
Good fight. Uh, good for Ramirez. I don't, what do you think of these guys overall? Do you, do you, even though, you know, so Ramirez has a belt, do you put him up there with, uh, you know, with say Regis Progre, who just beat, you know, who just sent Julius and Dongo back to, Dongo spent a few months climbing from the, from the <laughs> rungs of hell that, 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 uh, Terrence Crawford sent him into. And then Regis Progre just was like, nope, back down, you know, kicked him right back down to the bottom. Um, yeah, he you know, put the lotion you... back in the basket. You know what I mean? He's... <laughs> Big fat person. Um, yeah, he just he totally sent him back to the to the three D, the deepest dark steps of hell. But yeah, so I wasn't, you know, Rugaru, your guy, Progress, just had that sweet knockout, like you mentioned. Man, is he a player? I can't really tell if he's a player now because we don't know. Is Ndongo just really bad when he gets to this I, level, or or what? I think because... at this point we're, we we have to you know downgrade people's wins over Ndongo because it, it's looking like he you know that that. That fluky looking knockout against Eduard Trojanowski, um, and then, the you know, great, the beating whatever's left of Ricky Burns, yeah. it, it, it turns out to not mean a whole lot. Uh, well, this division's weird other guys. because the best players in this division don't really compete in here. Crawford's out. Mikey Garcia has a belt here now, beating Sergey Lipinets, but it doesn't look like he'll stay that long. I don't think he wants to go back down to 35. He's still talking about money fights at 47. So the other bell holders, WBO is vacant. WBA is, is our, our guy, Carol Relic, who just, uh, beat the bags off of, uh, Rances with Wolves, Bartholomew in that rematch. Like, <laughs> like no, get no chance in hell, like 12 rounds of destruction. So it, the, it's kind of a wide open division now for one guy to sort of make that statement that, that, that they're it. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a dead division in a way. So it could be Jose Ramirez's chance. I want to see him fight Regis though. Is he the mandatory? Is that what he secured in that victory? In that show that's, box? that's the fight that people are talking about. I don't know if it's, if, if yes, yeah, so he is the mandatory now. So, and, and, um, they'd ha- obviously have to get through some top rank PBC, uh, red tape, but it seems like, I mean, top, you know, Seems like, I mean, they've done it before and Aram seems like he's, he, he's happy to bring in anybody to fight against his guys on, on, on for that ESPN deal. And you know what's um, coming up next then? Rick Sterko, line one. The, the corpse of Ricky Burns. Maybe he's, it looks like, is Lenny Bowtie his personal tattooist? Cause they're starting to look like, uh, <laughs> like Nazi bros right now these days. But, uh, uh, yeah, get, get Ricky, get Rick Sterko on line one and, and we'll make that. But yeah, Ramirez program, that's the fight you, that's the kind of fight you want to see. I want to see a new name emerge at 140 and be that guy. I was, a little bit slow on endorsing Ramirez, but when he gets a win like this, shows you his heart, his guts. A lot of talk of his mom and family in the crowd. ESPN really pushing, pushing the storylines, but you know, it showed you what kind of person he is, person he is, and I can back a guy like this, you know? Yeah, and, and well, okay, here's it. Assuming, let's just say hypothetically, Mikey Garcia, since he does have, you know, a belt at that, at that weight, if he were to stay there, who, who of these guys do you give is the best, you know, the, the toughest out for for Mikey Garcia. Do you like? Did he already face that guy in Lipinets? Man, Lipinets fought a tough fight. That was I mean, look. I mean, for, after for fighting a, that, that was the that was the toughest anyone has ever fought, Mikey. Right? And, right. Far yeah. None. I mean, for for as you know, limited as we thought Lipinets was as more of a brawler and puncher, he had some craft in the way that he was mixing it up. Yes. And it's weird because Mikey. In the end, looked great in that victory, and I think you have to say, okay, one forty, man, you just won another title, but. That, like you said, that's the toughest anyone fought him, and I wonder if that was a advertisement that Mikey he can't be the the pound for pound brilliance in this weight class. Like the, we could enter Chocolatito territory if he starts if he keeps moving up. Like if he goes to forty seven and his power can't keep guys off, his craft could help him win decisions, but he's going to have to walk through fire to get there. So I think that yeah. was an interesting sort of warning right there, at least. 
And our boy AB, I know that he's fighting at, you know, what he's getting into like Canelo and Chavez territory with the catchweights. Uh, he's going to be fighting Jesse Vargas at 144. But if he did go back down to 140, she pro- and probably will end up fighting some of these guys down there. Well, how do you see like guys like Pro Gray, Ramirez, whoever fighting, you know, against Broner, who we know has talent, but is also, uh, you if you're know. not elite, Broner's still going to beat you. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, you know, somebody like Granados can push Broner to a close decision, but Broner, I think, is still going to beat you if you're not elite. But the problem is, once he feels that eliteness across from him, he, he just, he just backs out, right? I mean, just, you know, he sort of checks out in the fight and doesn't give it his all. And I wonder if Ramirez is the right type of fighter. A pressure guy can pop, good chin, could stay in his face and could force him into not being his best. Yeah, I mean, the, the certainly Ramirez looks like he that that be a favorable matchup for him. Even if I think that he may not be on the, you know, like like talent wise, I'm I don't know if I'm totally sold on Ramirez as like a high high end uh, elite fighter. Um, but just if he could, as long as Broner's counter shots weren't hurting him that bad, and he was able to outpoint him by by with pressure, that you could see that turning out well for Ramirez. Progre. What about the Iceman? Victor Postol. He was supposed to come back and, and, and fight Progre, but he, he pulled out with an injury and, uh, and we got great, you know, good, good Julius and Dongo stepped in to go back to hell. Um, but if Postol does come back and assuming he still has a relationship with top rank, um, he could be interesting at that, like Postol and Ramirez. Shoot. It's always hard fair. when a guy like Postol you know, gets a big victory against Matisse, makes him quit, and we think, oh my god, this guy's really good, and then goes in there against the very elite like he did against Crawford, and shows you like, almost nothing. So it's kind of yeah. hard to, he's somewhere in the middle of that. How good is he really? I mean, the guy that knocked out Selkick Idean, that guy's pretty damn dangerous. I like that version of Postal a lot. If he can still be an upper-level version of himself, maybe there was a little bit of fool's gold in that Lucas fight, but yeah, that's a wild card to this division. It's a good mention out of you because that is a wild card because of the, the volume of punches, the toughness, the long reach. I'd like to see that version of him against Ramirez, against all these guys. Maybe he's that guy, that secret guy in waiting who can pick up an alphabet belt, slide in some of these DMs and give these guys a lot of trouble and maybe become that guy. I'm not really sure, though. I mean, it's a, he's going to have to answer. When you lose a fight that badly in, you, in your big step-up moment, some guys fold after that. Some guys, you know, pitch That's it. That's true. I, pitched I mean, he, has, I, he, fought, uh, he fought some very feisty uh, guy with an impossible to pronounce impossible. or spell name last year and actually looked pretty good in it. The guy, that guy, I don't know who, I never heard of that guy. I don't know if we'll ever hear of him again. He came to fight, though. It was kind of fun. He was just like in Postol's face the whole time and getting beat up and, and just rough it, making it rough. But yeah, was it was it, a fun was fight. Was it Beck? Naj Midinov? Yeah, that guy was Yeah, Naj Midinov, that guy. That was, that was fantastic. Uh, Raphael, I don't, not, as James Bag would say, not to put Kriegel on your timeline, but did you catch that sit down between legends on ESPN, Don King and Bob Arum with Mark Kriegel where, you know, it was entertaining and, and if you really have to think about it, these guys are 86 and they're, they hate each other and they're longtime rivals and they're still going. Like, I know Don King's on the way out now, but it, it was sort of like an eye opener, like, holy crap, like, Bob the God, he's still number one, arguably the best promoter in the sport still. And it was sort of like a, I don't know, a full circle reminder of that. I thought it was a cool little idea to get them together at the same table. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it was almost the kind of thing where you, 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 it would have worked just as well if they were just sitting there yelling at each other with no mediation. And I, that's not, that's not really a knock on Mark Kriegel. Any, I think anyone in there wouldn't have added too much to you. You have, you have basically people who are two of the best talkers on the planet, right? I mean, you've been a boxing promoter 
for 50 years, basically 45, 50 years. That means you, you know how to talk. And we've listened to these guys. They have their own styles. You really just want to wind them up and let them go. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a little hard to, I, I know that, you know, you can say this about pretty much any promoter. I have a hard time sort of giving the warm look back treatment to Don King because in my opinion, he'd seen my, my impression is that he is the most um, you know, the most exploitative no, yeah, of no the doubt. very exploitative, uh, you know, species he belongs to, which is the boxing promoter. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was like, rep, a repti- reptilian, like Mike Tyson once called him when he said species. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, when, when every right. major promoter you've, or every major fighter you've had have sued you, then you, yeah, then you're probably not that guy, right? And like you look at, I mean, one of the interesting things I thought, I, I, I watched that, uh, I watched that interview on YouTube, uh, and there, you know, so it's, it has comments open and, all like 85% of the comments are just people being like, you know, these two thieves, these two bums, you know, like, like really, which is kind of like the thing that everyone is thinking. But obviously if you're in that situation uh, from a media standpoint, you can't really say, you can't really like, Hey, I'm here with these two crooked ass mofos who've ruined the lives of all the fighters you love. You know, not that, that, that that's a little strong. I should not say that, but uh, my know. biggest takeaway though, was that even at 86, like, Bob Arum needs a podcast. Like, I'm not even joking around. Like, I need an hour a week or a half hour a week for a microphone to be in front of Bob in a loose setting where he's just telling stories and ripping people and we get stuff like this. We had an orgy for two days. Never screwed so many women in my life. I mean, come on. I want to hear weed stories. I want to hear it all because Bob, I mean, the guy's still standing. He's been through it all. But uh, Bob was also in the headlines when another top-ranked fighter, Terrence Crawford Rafe, pulled out of that April 14th showdown against Jeff Horn for the welterweight title that Horn won controversially, of course, against Manny Pacquiao last year. Rafe, interesting spillage and and rollout from this, okay? So Crawford injures his hand. They pull out of this fight that was originally supposed to be an ESPN pay-per-view, the the debut one for ESPN and Top Rank together. Then, of course, they can't convince Manny Pacquiao to be on the co-main against Mike Alvarado. The word from the Philippines, right? He was insulted by by the offer reportedly. I don't know if Manny actually ever even talks like that, but we'll see. And now ESPN was going to put it on regular ESPN. Now they pull it, but now they announce we'll probably see it on that ESPN app that they're going to be launching this spring, which is a four ninety nine a month. The new president of ESPN gave it in a speech said this fight could be like the centerpiece of that. So, Rafe, uh, a lot of fallout from the Horn camp, because I don't know if you caught that uh, that press conference they did in Australia where Horn, his promoter, uh, what's the guy's name, uh, Dean Lonergan from from Duco Events and his trainer, the great Glenn Rushton. So just full disclosure here, people. Rafe hits me up with this half-hour documentary that Australian TV did on Jeff Horn after his victory over Pacquiao. And you know what? I rip Jeff Horn a lot on this show and sort of like, you know, this guy, what are you doing? You know, you get this belt and this controversial decision and you're calling out Mayweather. Now you won't stop talking. After watching that, like, it's kind of like this guy's like a Rocky. Like, he's a real underdog, this school teacher, and he has this trainer, Glenn Rushton, who's got this weavy hair, and he's like this, like, kind of, uh, He's, all right. He, the guy has the Glenn Rushton. His trainer is like this self-taught. It is, I don't even know how many boxers he'd trained before Horn walked into his gym. He's like a karate black belt, you know, master of several martial arts. They compared him like of, a cross between who? What they say? Chuck Norris and Tony Robbins, because he's also not only is he is he this karate guy, he is also he manages like a a, a, a fund for that that like that has like seven like almost a hundred. 
million dollars in it. He's like a super rich banker, uh, an investor. And the, the whole thing is bizarre. And like the, the, that, that documentary, when Horn walks into the guys, man, they pull up to the mansion. There's like a fountain with like dolphin sculptures there. And you go in and there's some crazy unicorn murals on the wall and stuff. He's got, remember the bad guy from Karate Kid 3? Uh, Terry Silver of the Quicksilver method when he turned Daniel LaRusso, <laughs> Daniel LaRusso evil it was kind of like that guy's house but like this guy's the opposite this guy's like the positive Tony Robbins version of, of T- Terry Silver right like yeah, it seems like he somehow took this like mild-mannered kid he found and just psyched him up into just telling him all this wild. That's why I think that that helps explain all the crazy talk we get out of the Horn well, Camp. Okay, so because it's all this mindful confidence, look the part, be the part. If you see it, if you say it, they talk so can... much trash. This camp yeah. talks. All right, so let me just close on the documentary. It made me like him more, but there's also some just like bizarre comedic moments in here. So <laughs> here's Aram when he basically the 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 guy from Duco of the promoter calls Bob Barham is like, we want to fight Pacquiao. And, they, and Bob's like, no, 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 you can't just get the, the, the crown jewel. And then they showed Bob the tape of, of when Jeff Horn beat Funeca. And this is what he said. The guy has balls. He fights like a tough, tough gang member. So then they show some some uh, some shots of, of Horn's wife and she starts talking. And you hit me up to this. Jeff Horn's wife's name, out of any name in the world, could it be? <laughs> Let's throw to Stephen A. Smith. You're Manny Pacquiao. You do not need to be getting knocked out and put to sleep by Joe Horn. Wow. So Joe Horn is Jeff Horn's wife, the great Joanna Horn. So she's telling a story of Jeff going to her <laughs> and saying, you know, we might get Pacquiao. When he first said to me, oh. You know, I might be finding this guy one day. I was just like, yeah, right, Jeffrey. Like, I don't think so. But anyway, it's good to dream, you know. She just sends him to hell. Like, this is like this meek, mild-mannered school teacher that this, like, weird Tony Robbins, Steven Seagal sensei turns into a killer, and he couldn't even convince his wife. It's great. So what am I trying to say here? So this press conference they gave to Australia TV, the trainer is basically like – uh what do you call Terrence Crawford? Princess? He called him like a soft princess. Yeah, then toughen this, up princess. Then this guy, Dean Longgren, starts ranting. He calls Crawford, I don't know if we can say this on the air, a soft cock. That's what he calls him. And then he goes like this. <laughs> he should just harden up. Like, seriously, bang it full of quarters and get on with it. And then he comes what? back with. These Yanks are nowhere near as tough as they make themselves out to be, and I can't wait for our Australian boy to go up and kick his ass. So... Don't poke the bud. Like, what are they doing, Rafe? The, if there's one fighter in the, that you do not want to piss off, it's Terrence Crawford who has this West Omaha gangster side of him in the ring where he loves to hurt you. That's not a guy you want to motivate. That's not a guy you want to get upset. What uh, are they Bob doing? Bob Arum just said it, you know, like Jeff Horn, he fights like a tough, tough gang member. Um, uh, but no, uh, I mean, all this leads, this is all I can think about, you know, and I sort of laid this out in the, in the respect box newsletter last week is that the parallels between Jeff Horn and Chris Algieri are amazing. They're like, <laughs> like, Alge- all right. Like they have these weird Taekwondo trainers who might or might not know anything about boxing and are extremely overconfident. Oh, you mean this they, guy, they- this guy, Rafe? but I still got him in a cage. He listens to me very well. I'm gonna let him listen. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they you know they they have all they talk all this crazy master boxer kind of like you know psych yourself up stuff. They're they're both they both basically got to their point that got reached their status by winning a decision that they didn't 
really deserve to win. I mean, I think Algeria's had maybe a better case against Provodnikov than, than, than Horn did against Pacquiao, but I still am not really convinced either guy won those fights. Um, and then they're both getting in their next fight fed to a wood chipper <laughs> who is going to like just, you know, expose them in, in really, in ways they don't even deserve. They're really nice guys. They don't deserve what they're, what's going to happen to them. That's sort of one of the weird things about boxing is like the, the, the people, the fighters who overachieve only have bad things coming to them in the end. Like oh, the, man. you know, the, the, the reckoning, all the harvest is going to come. You talk, wow. Wow. That is so Crawford tweeted at Horn on Friday or on Thursday. I'm going to show you a little princess come fight night. You just keep training. And keeping my belt warm because I'm effing you up come fight night. You, me, and everyone know it. Yeah, I mean, come on. You, I mean, like. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. I mean, come on, Jeff Horn. Oh, you'll get the horns. Wow, there's a little play in right there. But like, come on. I mean, Joe's got to step in, right? Joe's got to be like, come on, Jeffrey. Come on, She's right? Like, all right, Jeff. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. All right, all right, all right, Jeff. You got to watch that that half hour there. That's fantastic. So a little bit of a conspiracy theory. Some are saying that. This fight was only postponed, and I think that's why uh, Horn's camp is sort of questioning Crawford's heart and saying, hey, just, you know, put some cortisone. Both guys, everyone's saying put a cortisone shot in it, by the way, and just keep fighting. Some people are thinking that ESPN and Top Rank colluded to force this fight off on that date, bring it back in May or June, and put it on that app. What's wrong with that if that ends up being – well, look, uh, we'll talk about – we can talk about the app in a second. But what's wrong with kicking it off? I mean that date seemed like it was it was doomed from the – you know, like the whole thing just didn't make any sense anymore. It started falling apart. It was supposed to be a pay-per-view with Manny Alvarado on the undercard. Manny pulls out. You know, then is it still going to be pay-per-view? Hey, Manny How doesn't can that, do that possibly anymore. be pay-per-view? Um, and the whole – so like, you know, kind of just start start fresh and, and make it again. Now, um, I, I don't know if you needed – I don't know if they needed uh, Crawford to, you know, to suffer an injury to, to as an excuse or not. Um, definitely seems a little bit, a little bit suspect. Um, but and one of the funny things is if, if the sort of conspiracy theory angle has any legs here, then you would assume, and, and Crawford is not really as hurt, you know, and might not need to postpone the fight, but they're just looking for a better date. Um, you would, you would think that top rank, informed the 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 horn camp that this was you know that that deep down they know the reason behind the date changing uh if that were the case yet they would they're still going out there you know to to call him princess <laughs> and a uh soft wang soft dong shout out to taishan um and all those other things um they're still riling him up i i either to continue building up Jeff Horn's psyche and make him think that he has a shot because I mean hey confidence is probably the best thing he can bring into this fight because every he's going to be he's going to be outmatched and everything else um so it's it it's a weird conspiracy theory it does make some sense to me um that they would want to change the date the app thing I hope that doesn't happen it just I honestly I don't care I, I I'm likely to buy ESPN plus when it drops, because I think it's a pretty good deal. I could get a huge, you know, on demand library of sports past and present, uh, for five bucks a month. I, I, I'm basically a cord cutter, so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, hey, if I'm you not need paying a for streaming network uh, for, for, uh, why don't you go for CBS Sports HQ, the free, uh, 24-7 live streaming network. Nice. Right? That, that I'm a big like part too. of right now. All right, Rafe, so let me get that through your skull, okay? But, um, but, but the idea that they would, that, that, that the network would try and use Crawford Horn as basically extorting their audience, like, this, this is a fight that should be on TV. But we're not going to put it on TV to make you buy this new product. That 
rubs me the wrong way if it indeed plays out that way. I hope that will not be the case. Yeah, I wonder if that's a a tester to see – how many boxing fans can we come over, have come over and buy this app? You know, like, like, could that yeah. be our, could that be our hook? Because in the end, it's not real pay-per-view, but it's still kind of pay-per-view. I mean, so is ESPN in general, because you have to pay your cable bill to get ESPN, but then you have to pay an additional five bucks. It's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, and, and the, would, I mean, do you think that like, Terrence Crawford would be okay with that. I mean, this is a guy arising, you know, one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world in the prime of his career. You know, dude. jump big fight at a new weight dude, he who Post still Stahl, hasn't broken I'm... through publicly like that. Why should, why would he agree to fight solely streaming? I mean, Money. he still... fought Postal on pay-per-view in a pay-per-view that was set up to die because HBO couldn't afford it. It's for the money that he's getting. That doesn't matter. Yeah, come on. He doesn't. I guess, yeah, if there's, there's the money talks, like you could, you could add enough money to make, to make him okay with it. But at the same time, you know, it seems like he wants the, uh, some, of the celebrity that his talent should, you know, should kind of like warrant, you know, he's, he is that level of a fighter. He wants to be known like that and fighting. I mean, there's, you see in fighters, there's still a little bit of like lingering by it or, or prejudice against fighting on, on free cable. Now you're going to, now you're, you're going to tell this guy to, you know, go fight on a, on, on streaming. That's kind of like, I mean, that's for the deep undercard, right? I mean, that's like the, you know, the, the, the show, show extreme undercard is usually what you see on streaming. Um, I don't know if, I think it's going to be a hard sell. Obviously, if you throw enough money at someone, they'll probably agree to it. But I, I hope if that's the case, I hope, I hope Crawford asks for a ton of, a ton more money and gets it. Wow. Wow. All right. All right. Hey, Riff, we've got a couple other boxing headlines before we get out of here. One of them is uh, I love boxing scene, of course, because you get the most random, ridiculous, absurd headlines. Zhu Ming colon, I don't have the courage to retire at the moment. And just to keep you updated on the great two-time Olympic gold medalist from China, he's fresh off a TKO 11 loss to Sho Kimura last July which seemed to be the like it was for the WBO flyweight title. He has an opt, optic nerve and bone socket injuries, Rafe. He's 37. How is he 37? How did we get here so quick? Uh, will we see him again? Do you care? This Is this experiment gone awful? Wasn't this Bob's entry to get into China originally? Like, what do we do with Zhu Ximing, Rafe? Nothing. Ignore him. That's what we do. He's not. I mean, even if he does fight again, we're – I mean, he's not with top rank anymore, so – no one is going to force him down our throat. And I don't think that anyone is really going out of their way in this country to, to, to watch him because he wasn't that good. Right. I mean, is he, he, uh, is he know, not with top rank? They cut ties. That was in that boxing scene article. Oh, I didn't read it. Cause I was going to ask you, should Bob, that, cash, that cash fight him out? he lost the Shokimura. He promoted that himself. I was wondering if Bob should cash him out against Wash Chocolatito at like 15 or something. Right. I know that, that would be fun. I mean, look, we always wanted to see, that that was the thing that we missed out with with hit with with that relationship falling apart. Is we were we were hoping that we we knew that eventually it would build to him having to fight someone really good, and that person <laughs> would you know would give him the Barrera treatment or whatever you want to you would we would have one of those those great cathartic boxing moments when like you know not quite as great but up there with like Maidana beating Broner where just everyone is like yeah all right this is what I wanted for so long. Yeah, he says he doesn't have the courage to retire because it's been a twenty year relationship this boxing thing and it's hard. Hard to give up. He's nine and two with two KOs. I remember, like, remember his first couple fights in Macau. Like, they were we were treating them as real events. They were the main event of these like top rank independent pay per views. And I remember getting up at like 
four in the morning to watch some of these? I mean, like, what were we doing with our lives, Rafe? You know what they should probably do? Call up that trilogy fight with Manny Pacquiao lookalike. You know your guy who has the painting of him. What is it? Yes, Manny's yes. mini me. What's it? It's Quan Pachet um, One Song Chagim, whose yes. real name on Boxrep is uh, Prasitsak. Fapfum? I don't even know what I'm saying, Rafe. You know that guy, though. You always send me pictures of Minnie Manny. You know that guy. He's great. I love that guy. He has every, he's taken like at least three different photographs of himself with his, with the, the, the poster sized blown up photograph of him and Manny standing together. Uh, it is, that guy's, that guy's a treasure. Uh, and yeah, I think he, I think he deserves that trilogy fight so he could finally get the, the win he deserves over Zhu Shiming. Wow. There was one, the first time he fought Zhu, he had a scorecard against him 120 to 103. That's a heck of a scorecard right there. <laughs> How's that even possible? Was he knocked down like 18 times? I don't remember that many knockdowns in it, but. I don't okay. want to remember that fight. Uh, I'll give him a third chance, though, just so we can run that out. Uh, the other thing, Rafe, is that uh, fire this up. In, the, in in your If you're like me, you love washed welters, you love washed fights. April 12th, ESPN, a Thursday night card on the Deuce. Sorry, ESPN Deuce, Golden Boy, Indio, California. Please tell me, Rafe, you'll be there. Francisco Vargas against Hot Rod Salka <laughs> in a 10-round junior lightweight bout. And just to give you some perspective... Salka 5-0 and since that DSG uh, legalized assault, brother, from 2014. He's 35, but he's moving back down to 130. The worst thing you can say, the best thing you can say about Salka is the guy comes to fight. Like, he'll brawl in there with you. Vargas, Salka, this could be war. Yeah, actually, look, I mean, it's, it's, it, as I, I'm not above making a good Rod Salka joke. I mean, they are, you know, they're an important, they're an important quiver in any, uh, in any boxing, uh, you know, Twitter jerk offs, uh, you know, like, uh, quill of, of arrows. I'm, I'm losing this metaphor. Um, but, uh, at the same time, you know, the guy was not, he doesn't really, he, it's, I don't know. He doesn't deserve it quite as bad as he, he gets it because he was put in a tough situation having to go fight at 140 against Danny Garcia. The whole thing, that was just a disaster and not his fault. And he got sent to hell pretty d- disgustingly. Um, but at 130, assuming he can make the weight comfortably, he's not a bad fighter. He's not, you know, he's not going to be terribly outsized. And, you know, we, let, we, we wonder what Francisco Vargas has left at this point, right? I mean, he's he, he's been through, I mean, look at the wars he's been through. He look, he was starting to look a little bit washed against uh, against Burchelt, even though he fought okay. Um, but it's just, you know, he has taken so much punishment and, and this is a good fight, I think. This is exactly the kind of fight he should be looking to come back and prove that he is at that top level. He's back to what his, his you know, sort of best form or close to it and Salka is you know he's, I I don't I don't expect him to go out like he did against Garcia in this fight all right. I mean, I just want to see him back in there and get. I've always said that guy deserves like another giant payday to make up for what happened in that that night because that was just. Awful. He he deserves the the Liam Beefy Smith payday that that you he know that, that that he's getting for t- for losing to Canelo gets to fight against Adam Ali again. You know, he definitely yeah he took one for for Team PBC or Team oh Heyman on that God. one. I mean, let's hashtag never forget. I hope they do a thirty for thirty one day on the booking of that fight and in the craziness and oh man. Uh, Rafe, we don't have a lot of time left, so I won't get on the uh, long rant I had against other people's pay pound for pound lists espn with wilder at number 10 brendan schaub of showtime's below the belt with wilder and joshua tide at number four uh, can people wake up that like what pound for pound means and where heavyweights belong in pound for pounds like it's not impossible for a heavyweight to make the top 10 but come on people you got 10 seconds of a rant on that 
Yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. I mean, like the the I, I know people probably don't remember the people making these lists may not be thinking back that far, but they were the idea of these lists was just like created to begin with so that <laughs> fighters who weren't heavyweights would you know could be sort of yeah. How do you rate of, them against know. each other? It's like if they're all in the same weight class and the same you know whatever yeah. advantages they have in their own weight class of size or power or speed, you attribute that to this fake weight class, and you can't tell me. I mean, maybe like Lennox Lewis in his prime, Vlad Klitschko after all the those title defenses deserved recognition in the top 10, but come on, people. Anyway, Rafe, let's close with what's it look like, because you know that's my favorite segment. I love it. We heard a lot of beef on this podcast between Danny Jacobs and Jamal Charlo. We heard who may or may not be touching M's, Rafe. Well, you ain't even touching M yet. I'm touching M's. That's why I made my way to HBO. It. I get that. I know you're gonna or probably get, get it. You don't know what I'm touching. But don't say. You don't know what I'm touching. Oh, I, I never, know what you're touching. I never said. He has no idea what Jamal Charlo's touching, alright? Cause Jamal Charlo's not touching that bag he lost, by the way. Somebody teased the bag and they got the mess with a lot of cash out of there, like you mentioned on the show. But Rafe, we didn't talk much about what this would actually look like, this actual fight. At middleweight, two young hungry lions. One of them is a hashtag lions only product. What's this look like? It's tough to, I, I, Jamal Charlo has looked great recently, right? I mean, the Julian Williams fight really, really, you know, made him sort of undisputable as a, as a top level talent. I still think Danny, Danny Jacobs is better. I just think he's better. He's the, the, the size advantage that, that Charlo has, has used in a lot, you know, has benefited Charlo in a lot of fights won't be there for him against, against Danny Jacobs. Um, Jacobs, I think just, you know, his experience, he's fought it, fighting at a higher level. He just, I think that he would, it's the kind of thing I would see Jacobs winning the first one in a competitive decision. And then maybe Charlo, you know, after coming back from that experience, if they had a rematch, maybe being able to you know, knock him out or win in that one. Wow, interesting. Okay, so like it's weird because I think of Danny Jakes as a guy kind of on the outskirts of a pound for pound, you know, not in the top 10, but he's got that ability if he can string big big victories together because we're giving him so much credit for his his loss, right? For yes. how good he fought and defeat against Gennady. If he can put some big wins together, he's almost that gatekeeper of the pound for poundless level of talent where I think the Charlos are either pound for pound now if you want to reach that far or they're right on the verge of going in. So this fight would represent that. And I just think that, that both Charlos really have, uh, we don't know how good they can be. Like it's untapped how, how great they can be. And I think I'd favor his combination of speed and punching. I don't know if we could go to the distance. Both these guys can punch. J I mean, then again, Jacobs took Gennady's best shot and came up. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, maybe it would. It, it, I think both guys would hit the deck potentially, but I think I like Charlos, uh, overall craft and fire and heart, uh, then again, I, look, I'm talking myself back into Jacobs. That's why this fight would be so good. Maybe no, your okay. sort of prediction. Look at the, of... Let, let me put it this way. We saw, we saw Austin Trout, Jamal Charlo, right? And Trout took, you know, big, tough shots. Um, and eventually spent some time, spent, did a, spent a lot of that fight outboxing Charlo, outworking, landing, landing the lead lefts, you know, really, you know, put a, fought a really, really great fight, I think, for, for, you know, for that, for, for his age and everything at, at that performance. I thought that was a great, uh, effort by Austin Trout in the loss. Um, what, I mean, Jacobs is just, you know, bigger, fresher, faster, you know, Trout almost, you know, he's got, he, he's got, he, he can, he can, you know, he's smart. He's not, you know, he's not reckless. He's not, he, I think he can, I think he has more of a, a path to victory, um, 
through, you know, throughout boxing Charlo and just fighting a smart fight and not and not getting hurt, um, then then Charlo has, uh, you know, come in the other way. I guess I just like that when you have two guys who have equal skill sets and they're so yeah. matched that it's it's actually really hard to give analysis of one why one guy would beat the other. And that's really what you like. It's not like great puncher against great slickster and you can kind of do the math. These are two guys that do the same thing and do it really well. I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's really who's going to do it better. And I, I would hope we can see it. One and day. Charlo does have that sort of sky high potential where you could, I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing he could walk into that ring and blow Danny away. And then all of a sudden like, whoa, whoa, this is who this guy really is. I think that's why I'd lean to him. That's a great point because I think I know how how good Danny Jacobs can be. But it's true. But, but the thing is we, that is very good and we don't, and it's not a, it's not a, a guarantee that Jamal Charlo is going, is actually that good or ever will be that good. Uh, so like the, the conservative, conservative argument is that like, look, I know this, this is the proven quantity and not too many guys are beating that. And we, ha- this, this guy is just not proven on that level yet. Well, we have to agree with independent judges, both be Canelo. Come on, come on, both be Canelo. I I agree, yeah. Yeah, you're damn right. We, we, you know, I mean, the adolescent bird. Yeah, Danny's gonna find out adolescent bird firsthand if he gets in there with Canelo, by the way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they both would beat him. Come on, you know that. What do you got for me? Hit me up. What's the look? What's All right, up? I got one for you. So, I'm talking Mikey Garcia today uh, against what weight? 135. Okay. Lightweight against Floyd Mayweather at lightweight in his lightweight days. So Jose Luis Castillo, uh, Love Morendu. Moving up to Arturo Gatti. Wow, that's a great fight. That's a great, great fight. Because does po- that become because post break does that Mike, become Floyd's toughest fight? You know it might because we still always point back to Corrales, who was a freak size killer at those weights, but certainly wasn't well, the boxer Mikey was. And Mikey at lightweight has hella power, as we saw against against yeah, your guy Dejan, uh, the mustard man. Uh, wow, so. <laughs> The thing about Mikey here is I love post-break Mikey, you know, post two years away because he's more offensive. And, and and when he moves up in weight, he has to be more offensive. But at the same time, prime lightweight Floyd, what made him so great is that he was offensive, right? It was that he could do both. He, didn't, he wasn't that protective protector of his hands and protector of getting hit as he is at welterweight, right? And, just and he his, had power then. He you know, had, at 135, he was, he's, still, he's still a much more dangerous puncher. Then it comes since there, it would really come down to who's the higher craft of fighter, and at the higher craft of fighter is Floyd at 135, and he's so aggressive offensively, and he's so crisp and so clean, and he's going to have a speed advantage over Mikey, and that mm-hmm. might ultimately be the difference. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, and the other, the other thing is the it's it's a it's a, it's also a style matchup thing where. Mikey is a great boxer, you know, he's a great technical boxer. And unfortunately there is, you know, as great as he is at that, nobody is out, 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 out doing Floyd. You can't out pizza the hut. Come on, you know, you know, um, it's the same, you know, he goes in, I mean, obviously, uh, when Canelo tried it in 2013, he, he was not at the level that he's at today or that Mikey Garcia is at. Um, and he looked ridiculous trying to outbox Floyd. Um, but you just, you know, you, you, you're not going in there and winning that way. Um, the only, the, the only sort of wild card is that, you know, yeah, Mikey has heavy hands and he has great timing and he could, you know, he, he's, you wonder, he's probably, you, you wonder if, if he would be good enough to catch Floyd with one fight changing shot. Um, we don't know. I wouldn't count on it, but it's a, it's that, that is a, a possibility. You in know, that the more I think about it, match. that's Floyd's fight. The more I think about it, and I love Mikey, but the more I think about it, that's Floyd's fight all the way. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, Floyd, probably one of the, I, I look, I'm not, I'm, don't come after me historians, but for 130, 135 pounds, I don't know if I've ever seen, like, you know, I can't think of anyone, I guess Lomachenko now is, is sort of Floyd, Floyd was that kind of, what the hell is this, yeah. this person, well, like no too. one in the world is going to defeat this guy at that, at those weights. Sh- lightweight Shane Mosley. Just, I mean, you know, we, we, we gotta bang him. lightweight Shane Mosley could bang. I mean, that guy was a, was just, I mean, it just, oh, when I watch him fight, it's like, bang, 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 bang. Try and stop it. Bang, bang. Here I come. Bang. You want to throw sometime? Bang. Yeah, bang. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I got to say. All right, Rafe, to close out here, uh, I want to hit you with the sloppy one because I know we know that well, how you like them. We know that you like them, you know, extra. <laughs> All right. Maybe it's me who likes that. But in honor of April 7th in Laredo, Texas, when 44 year old Ricardo Mayorga comes back to fight Rodolfo Gomez Jr. in a super middleweight bout, Rafe, which when you're that washed, there should just be open weight, right? If you just show up to the ring, however you want. Let's do an open weight wash fight right now. Ricardo Mayorga against Antonio Margarito. iPads are optional. What does that look like right now, Rafe? Oh, it looks like, um, it looks like just a really depressing night. Like, it look like you're going to need a, like a whole handle of vodka to get through that. I mean, it is disgusting. Uh, you oh, got a favor. Tony's a f- more fresh. If you go by that Carson Jones fight from September, right? Even though he was yeah, losing. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't, he's, he's, he doesn't have, well, okay. No, I think, I think Mayorga wins that fight. Cause Mar- Margarito does not, is not, you know, is not getting out of the way of any punches. And, and, and Mayorga is like 30 pounds bigger than him and probably hits harder. I don't know, man. Mayorga is hella washed, right? <laughs> like he's been through that failed MMA experiment. Got stopped by Shane in that gross rematch. Uh, oh man. I mean, it's been a long, when was the last Mayorga win that was actually like well done? Uh, is it washed Vargas in 07? Like, come on. Like, what are we talking? Hey, that fight would be everything that I would want it to be. So I'll just leave it at that. That's what it would look like. It would be, ha ha ha. You know, come on. Slabby. All right. Well, last one for you. Our guy Deontay Wilder likes to compare himself to great heavyweights in recent eras. Um, so let's put it to the test. I'm not going to go even further back. Um, Deontay Wilder versus a, uh, you know, prime smoking Joe Frazier. Wow. Wow. Now we're getting into the kind of debates that seems like Deontay can't stop getting into on like social media and stuff. The whole match him up legendary and the whole idea that just because these guys were from an earlier era and, and grew up fighting every second and have, you know, skill and, and technical savvy and just, you know, guile that fighters today could never dream of, could they overcome the physical gap? Well, Wilder 6-7, Fraser 5-11 and a half. I, I want to knee jerk and go to the old generation, right? And be like, Frazier knows how to get inside on people. The lack of technique is going to be a problem right away when Frazier. I mean, gets do you see it? Do you see, I mean, is, is the, the size a, a big enough factor to have like a foreman type situation? Well, that's, so I, you were setting, I was going to basically go to that. I was going to say your, your knee jerk is going to be Frazier, but there was the foreman fight. There was the, the, you know, six knockdowns or whatever in, in Jamaica, just throwing them all over the ring. Is this just going to always be a bad matchup for somebody that size with a long right hand like that? I, that's why you mash these up because 
I mean, but then again, you know, Frazier could take a great punch. I mean, he could go to hell and back. Uh, what would it look like? It would be a, it would be, would this be the kind of fight that would be kind of a boring chess match at first as Frazier tries to figure out how to get inside and, and Wilder's just sticking that left arm out to just kind of like keep him away and pawing at him? You know, I mean, can, can, can Wilder take the heat of that left hook when he does get inside? It's interesting. I, you know, I feel like the gap in skill in this case is incredibly wide because we're not trying to pr- pretend that Luis Ortiz is an all timer, right? You know what I mean? So like, I'm certainly not. He didn't, I mean, he didn't look like one that night. It's just weird that boxing is the only sport, like I mentioned last time, where you could go in reverse and sort of say, yes, the guys from back then who lived this sport, who knew this game, Lara Holm. <laughs> Those guys know this game. Yes. They also just, it's, it's also the only sport where you go back in time and, and the guys look more athletic. Like, that is, you know, you do that in basketball, you know, you get, you get, you go back to, you know, Bob Cousy dribbling with his right hand with the, with the, like, like Stanley from the office. Um, but, you know, you, you boxing, you do look at those, the, the heavyweights of the seventies and they are more fluid athletes. They're just better looking fighters than the guy, most of the guys we see. Yeah, I'm going Fraser. Come on, Fraser. Th- th- that skill gap is so wide. You know what I mean? Like, th- yeah, Brian, th- you 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 tortured this one out way more. I thought I was just teeing you up for an easy like, you know, you know, Deontay gets well, sent to it. Like, so the know, thing Deontay is- likes to put himself in mythical matchups. Well, Joe Frazier, you know, you know, is now sending you straight to hell in this mythical matchup. Well, there- he, gets, he gets in there. He gets on. He, you know, one of those big leaping, almost leaping, you know, like left hooks. He it would it, it's over. It, it, I don't think it's so that you're much right. trouble. And there's a reason why I took a lot of time with this because I'm trying to, I'm trying to fill the middle ground. I'm trying to not be the guy who just says no, the old generation wins. I'm also trying to be the guy who realizes what act, Wilder actually is. Right, six foot seven, athletic with a bomb of a right hand, and it may not matter how bad he is craft wise in the ring. You know, as we're finding out, obviously the guys he's beating today not on the level of these other guys. So I'm trying to respect like the the whole LeBron James thing. I mean, it's just a freak. Athlete nature. How could you say anybody could match up with a guy like that? You know, like that sort of thing. I'm trying to balance that all out, but still, yes, Fraser wins that. Agreed, agreed. And that wraps up another week of boxeo. Do we Ray- want to quickly, Brian, mention uh, just to not not really break them down? But we've got Dylan White and Lucas Big Daddy Brown fighting on HBO in the UK. So this and seems maybe, like, yo, go ahead. What do you got? Maybe more importantly, on Friday out in Indio. The one and only King Rye, Ryan Garcia, is uh, headlining uh, uh, some Golden Boy card out there in uh, at the Fantasy Springs in in India. Um, Ryan Garcia, we got to mention a true social media superstar, trying to make this boxing Justin Bieber thing happening, and uh, you know retweeting all the thirst that comes his way from the the the. the teenage girls of Southern California. It's it's a it's a fun act for now. I don't know if it's going to last long. <laughs> Uh, we gotta have him on here, by the way, and, and talk Frank Sinatra with him and talk about, you know, what, where the high school girls hang out because this guy seems like he's got Oscar potential and just the, the heartthrob department, alright? You know, catch me on the D, catch me on the low. Yeah, uh, the whole white, brown, interesting that HBO's picking this up. It seems more to, to please the Eddie Hearn side of things, right? The hopes of bringing over Anthony Joshua, finding opponents for him to face if they can secure him to HBO. I think that's all interesting. That fight doesn't move me though, you? 
No, of course not. Uh, I like Dylan White, um, and I, I I I haven't watched in full yet, but they're like uh, the gloves are off, face off, UK style show will probably be a lot of fun. There was one great clip going around of Dylan White uh, uh, comparing uh, Lucas Brown to uh, uh, the male member. Um, uh, so you know, I, I like Dylan White. I don't think Brown is very good. Um, White hasn't didn't look so good against Chisora. Uh, could be sloppy fun. Yeah, good for HBO. You know, if they don't have a fight on, it's not a heavy boxing weekend. Why not slide, you know, slide into the DMs with a little something? All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. Why don't people out there listening, if you haven't yet, slide into the Respect Box newsletter that Rafe is poaching these days. You'll find it right in your inbox every Friday. Hit them up on Twitter at RafeBugs and sign up. The pin tweet at the top of the page will give you the information. Uh, McSorley's my dad and me, two and two, is still, uh, still selling. Still, still out there, guys, in. if you want to check it out. Amazon, blah, 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 blah. That's a fun book. Can't wait till we get uh, a basically a, a TV show of that, uh, hopefully, one day, okay? Hopefully. Then I'll, you know, we'll do a whole episode of the show casting it. I uh, can't wait for that. But uh, <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. Check out the other offerings of the ITC this week. And as always, check out that new live streaming 24-7 network we talked about cbshq.com you can get it on your cell phone on your uh, smart device your tablets whatever you want stream it to your tv you're gonna like what you see i guarantee it for rafe bugs i got two words for you we out